All right, First Peter chapter two. We'll begin in verse thirteen this morning. And uh, as we look at this passage, um, I, I've tossed it around and uh, and worked on it uh, and, and thought it through. Uh, I'm not even sure this counts as a sermon as much as it does a just a good talking to. Uh, but uh, Peter deals with something here that I think uh, is of just extreme uh, importance when it comes to the topic we've been dealing with, and that is uh, living as exiles. Uh, we are definitely not, the Christians are definitely not the majority in our society anymore, depending on uh, what, uh, what statistics you look at. Uh, some statistics have it as low uh, as 20% of the American population uh, is actually Christian. Uh, now, again, you, you, you know, it depends on how you ask the question. Uh, you can get asked that question and get it up to 80%. Uh, but generally, that, mean, uh, that question is, do you go to church? Uh, you know, and and I, I think if we uh, look at the results, if we look at the news, if we look at what's going on around us, uh, it's a lot easier to believe that it's 20% than 80%. Uh, when we look at uh, the morality or the immorality uh, in our society, when we look at uh, the laws that are passed and the things that, uh, that are acceptable in our society, uh, it uh, becomes painfully obvious that uh, Christianity is not uh, the, the influence uh, on our culture that at one time was. Uh, again, there was a time, and many of you in here uh, are old enough to remember such a time, uh, that governments and organizations, when they made decisions and made policies, uh, they made those with at least some uh, consideration to how the church uh, was going to respond, uh, how that uh, decision would be seen uh, by God's people. Uh, and, and I think, uh, again, you know, uh, that's just not the world we live in uh, anymore. If you're still in the workplace, uh, most likely, unless you are uh, extremely blessed, uh, most likely, uh, if you are still in the workplace, you are uh, in the minority uh, as a believer uh, in your workplace. Uh, it just, uh, you know, most likely in your neighborhood, you are probably, uh, there's probably a lot more cars still at home in your neighborhood this morning than there are at church this morning. Uh, it's just, you know, pretty much, you know, anywhere we go, uh, the, the church is in, the Christian uh, is in the minority, and we just simply don't have uh, the influence uh, that we one time did. And uh, we look so far at two things that Peter has said. Peter has told us that even though that's the case, and, and I don't think uh, anybody would really argue uh, with, that, uh, with that statement, we are still to have hope. Uh, we still look up. We still keep our eyes on God. We also, last week we looked, that we still uh, live with a measure of fear, uh, a fear of God uh, in our life. The world may not, but we do. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to look at one that, uh, it is, uh, that Peter brings up that uh, is, again, maybe not uh, a deep theological fault. 
uh, as we looked at hope and fear, we kind of had to dig into those words a little bit and, and what the original meaning was and, uh, and how Peter's context and what he was talking about. This one isn't quite as deep theologically, uh, but I think it is extremely uh, important for Christians uh, to understand and to practice what Peter says uh, in, in these verses. Look with me. Uh, and I want to read this passage to you. First Peter uh, chapter 2, beginning in uh, verse 13, he says this. He says, submit yourself. And, and that word submit is really one of the key words in the entire uh, book uh, of First Peter. It's definitely uh, a key word in this section. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. There, there's the operative phrase in this passage. What we're doing, we're not doing for the king. We're not doing for the government. We're not doing for ourselves, but we submit ourselves for the Lord's sake, to bring Him honor, to bring Him glory, to, to bring honor to His name. And he says, whether it be to the king as supreme or to governors as unto them who are, that are sent by Him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. But so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not asking your liberty for a uh, cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. That statement is, again, I think, one of the most important statements for believers in our culture today. How we interact and how we behave ourselves in the face of an immoral world. How, how we treat others, how we respond to others, how we respond to the authority around us uh, says worlds uh, about our relationship with God. And I, I think one of the greatest Damages one of the greatest uh, bullseye on the Christian's testimony uh, often uh, is how we, <coughs> excuse me, how we uh, relate, how we treat uh, those in authority in our life, how we react, how we respond to our employer, how we respond to others around us uh, is one of the greatest either testimonies or scars on our testimony. It just depends on how exactly uh, we behave in those situations. We, uh, again, remember again the setting uh, of this passage. The Christians here uh, were suffering uh, great persecution. Now, uh, it's, it's a different kind of persecution than maybe uh, we're often used to in Scripture. It weren't that they had been, uh, wasn't that they had been carried off into bondage. They were living in their community. They were living uh, at home, but they were, again, in the minority. They were uh, being ridiculed and, and, and laughed at uh, because of it. Some of them had uh, lost their homes. Some of them had lost their property. Uh, in fact, most of them had lost their original home back uh, in Jerusalem and had to scatter out uh, across Asia. So they were already uh, in that and they had 
uh, been forced to scatter uh, for their life. And now they were living uh, in areas, you, 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 you uh, know the New Testament, uh, you know some of the places that Paul writes about uh, when he writes about some of the immorality and the sin and the pagan worship that was going on in, in places like Ephesus and uh, some of these cities. This is where these Christians had settled. Uh, and, and they were living in, in that kind of environment. And Timothy, uh, Peter says to them here, how you act in those cities will go a long way towards bringing people to know Christ. How you, how you act, how you respond around those people is of great uh, importance. And they were being persecuted because of Christ. And, and most of us, uh, you know, it's kind of in our nature, uh, you know, you know, you, you, you know, we strike back. We lash out. Uh, these people were again being persecuted uh, for their faith. They're living for Christ. And they're proclaiming uh, salvation in a world that, uh, again, I, I've talked uh, used as primary example, the worship uh, of Diana uh, that uh, was going on in that time. The, uh, again, the, the prostitutes that were uh, slave prostitutes that were part of the worship. And just a, an evil, vile uh, system. And these people were trying uh, to live uh, for, for Christ. And uh, these people, uh, the interesting thing from uh, what we study and what we learn in history is they were willing to hear about Christ. You, you, they could, the, the Christians could talk to them about Christ. Where, where the resistance come was when they started talking to them about repentance. When they started talking to them about, you know, you, you could talk to them about Christ and, uh, and they didn't care. Uh, they, they were fine with it. Just like uh, many of the religions, world religions over the years, fine. We'll just take Christ and we'll put him on the buffet with the rest of them. You know, we, we just mix him in. He'll just be one of our gods. We don't care. Throw him in here. You know, we'll pray to Diana. If she doesn't do what we want to, we'll pray to, we'll pray to your Jesus. We don't care. Uh, they, you know, they, they were, they, they, the, the kind of the philosophy, what was the K&W of, uh, of worship. You know, uh, serve you Diana? No, serve you Jesus? You know, they, they didn't care. Uh, but when you started saying that if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to repeat. You have to change. You have to turn and go the other direction. You have to live differently. Then everything uh, changed and the people uh, rejected and uh, they want to hear about repentance. If you, want to, if you wanted to tell them about another God that might answer their prayers, they were all for it. Yeah. You want to tell them somebody else they could ask something of? No problem. Put him on the list. You want to say, I've got to change the way I live? <laughs> you better get out of here with that mess. We don't want to hear that. Yeah, we're not going in that direction. And so uh, the people then turned against the believers. They, they rejected uh, them. They, they, you know, they, they scorned them. They, uh, you know, they, they tried to, uh, you know, they, they would give them all kinds of grief and, uh, and, and, you know, pass over them for promotions and not do business in their stores and those kind of things. So that's the kind of environment that these people uh, are living in. And what does Peter say to them? If I could put it very simply, and it's not a biblical term necessarily, uh, it's not the translation of a, a, of a Greek phrase out of the New Testament, but Peter simply says, be nice. Be nice. Be nice to these people that reject you. Be nice to these people that try to harm you. 
be nice to these people that, that turn against you and ridicule you and make fun of you. Uh, be nice to these people that are trying to run you out of town. Be nice. Be nice. No, I, 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 again, that's not a deep theological truth, but it is definitely a biblical truth. Be nice. That, that is what we see revealed to us in this passage. And Peter is encouraging them simply, again, he's only talked to them about hope and fear. And out of that, he says, if you have hope, you have a fear of God, then you can be nice to these who are persecuting you. Because you don't have to, you have a hope. You know, they can't take away from you. They can't take your salvation away from you. They can't take your relationship with God away from you. So you don't have uh, to fear. And Peter's been talking all along about the wonder of salvation. And now what he's telling them is, all right, it's time for your salvation, it's time for your relationship with God to take some feet and get out into the street. It's time for your salvation to actually begin to make a difference in your life. Notice with me the patience that Peter explains. What Peter calls on here uh, for patience, uh, and again, the word patience is not in this passage. But if you read the passage, it is definitely there. Uh, what Peter asks for requires patience. Look in uh, verse 13. When, when Peter says there, uh, to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And then look at the end of the passage in verse 17. Honor every one. How many of you in here know if I'm going to honor everyone, it's going to require some patience. Because some people sometimes don't act honorable. I, I know none of you have ever worked with him. You know, I, I know none of you don't have her in your family. But some people don't act honorable. Most of you by now have learned one of my favorite statements is that one from Mash when Frank Burns said, It's nice to be nice to the nice. It's nice to be nice to the nice. We don't have any trouble being nice to the nice, but it's hard to honor the unhonorable. It's hard to honor the cranky and the contrary. It's hard to honor the one that's trying to push you out of your job. It's hard to honor the one that's trying to keep you from getting that promotion. It's hard to honor a government that is passing some of the most immoral laws uh, ever been passed. It's hard to honor a politician that, that is, uh, is passing some of this, uh, this, uh, these homosexual laws. And it's hard to honor a, a government that's passing some of these same-sex marriage laws. It's hard to honor them. But God says what? Every institution. Every one. We don't get to pick and choose who we honor. Not as believers. We don't, we don't get to say, well, you know, he hit me first. You know, that works on the playground. You know, that works in elementary school. Doesn't work for the believer. Peter says we are to honor everyone, every institution. That's just what it says. 
And folks, well, that, that means that most likely we're going to have to spend some time in prayer saying, God, grant me patience. But much like the little saying says, God, grant me patience, but I want it right now. You have to learn to be patient with people. This, this word, when he says to be subject to the Lord's, uh, for the Lord's sake, to every institution. You say, but they've been mean to me. But it's for the Lord's sake. They've treated me bad. But it's for God's sake. It's for God's glory. It's for Him that we're commanded to be nice. To honor every institution. That word to be subject means, again, as you might imagine, it means to honor. Even to hold it in esteem. Anybody in here have to deal with somebody that it'd be awful hard to hold them in esteem? You work for them, work with them, they live in your neighborhood. God forbid they're related to you. You have to see them at least Thanksgiving and Christmas. Birthday parties. Peter says, hold them in esteem. Honor. Be nice. Even if they are not nice. Oh, I've told y'all a million times. I wish I had a church. Lane, can we get rid of the snow and put a big mirror up here? I wish y'all could see y'all's face when I'm telling you to be nice to those that are not nice. The one of you about to chew the inside of your tongue off. Because it's hard. Hey, I'm with you. I'm preaching in choir today. Be nice, he says, to every institution, even to hold them in esteem, is what he says. Again, it's talking about showing respect to all people in general. Again, it was, I mentioned, Diane brought up Junior while ago, and I mentioned Wallace. Those of you who are here who knew Wallace, it was easy to honor Wallace. It was easy to respect Wallace. It's easy, most of the time, to honor Pansy. I can still outrun her. I ain't scared of her. You know, she is sneaky. She might sneak up behind me and walk me with that stick one day. It's easy to honor some people. That's not what he says. He doesn't say we honor some. We honor everyone. Everyone. Anybody in here having some pictures run through your mind of some people that you're going butt Jimmy? <laughs> Don't butt Jimmy me. Jimmy didn't say it. You need to say, but God, and see what he says. And he's already told you, be patient. Honor everyone. Can I, can I tell you something that some of you may not like to hear? You're not always honorable either. And people are commanded, and Christians are commanded to honor you and, and to respect you and to have that. And again, uh, the most common example, the simplest example of that is, is again what we find in the Ten Commandments when the Bible tells us to honor our parents. Parents are not perfect. We're to honor them and to hold them in esteem. That's what it says. Listen, some of you may be thinking, you know, again, I don't see the word patience here. If you don't see, you may not see the word patience, but if you don't see patience here, you, 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 uh, you, you're not looking close enough. Because you have to be patient with people. 
have to be uh, again kind and, and again even okay even if we don't see it here we know that patience is a, a command uh, of scripture we're told over and over in, in, in scripture to be patient the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness now, I know a lot of times we like for the preachers and the teachers to talk to us about the red horses and the yellow horses and the bowls and the cups and prophecy and when Jesus is coming. And, and, and th those are all fine topics. They're in the Bible too. But the truth of the matter is probably nobody in our community, nobody in our neighborhood, nobody in our family is ever going to find Jesus because we have a good understanding of the bowls of wrath in the book of Revelation. But they will be impacted when we act in this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, they will be impacted. Can I tell you this morning that most of the people you work with that are lost really don't care about whether we believe in a millennial reign or not, or whether when the rapture happens, or they really don't care. Because they already think they're going to heaven anyway. But I'll guarantee you they'll notice if somebody who says I'm a Christian isn't kind. I guarantee you they'll notice if you say you're a Christian and you're not nice, you're not good, you're not peaceful, I guarantee you they'll notice that. You can have the Bible memorized from Genesis to Revelation and nobody you work with will really care. But if you're not kind, they'll notice. If you're not patient, they'll notice. Paul says in Ephesians, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another with love. You may not see patience in 1 Peter. I do. But if you don't see it in 1 Peter, you can't deny that it's there over and over and over that we are commanded to be patient with people, to be nice, be strengthened with all power, according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience and joy. Now, notice this verse, as Paul writes to the Colossians, be strengthened with all power. You know what, I, what he's saying? Is you probably can't be patient without being strengthened by God. Because in your own flesh, you're going to punch him in the throat. But we pray that God would make us patient. That God would make us kind. That God, God would make us gentle. That God would give us joy. That God would give us peace. That God would allow us to exemplify the, the peace and the love that, that He has. Put on them. So now, what it, everybody in here this morning, you got up and you put on clothes. Thank you. You put on clothes. Why? Because you didn't come with clothes. Came into this world naked, you go out that way. So you had to put on something you didn't have, right? He says, put on then as God's chosen, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You got to put it on. I expect there may be a few people in this world that were born patient. I'm still waiting to meet one of them. 
But Mom, there, there's probably a few. So he says, you've got to put it on. It's something we have to pray about. It's something we have to work on. I, I, I'm not going to call names. I could. There, there are some people sitting in this very room that, that in my almost 29 years now, 29 years, 8 months, I think, today, uh, you know, uh, I've seen you mature and you're way more patient and kind and meek than you were 29 years ago. I didn't say you were there yet. I'm saying you're, you're, you're moving along. I, I, I hope someone can say the same thing about me. I hope it's true about all of us. He says we are to be kind. Yeah, can't stress it enough how important I, I think this is to live out this life that, that we have to, and, and can I say in that, that, that I think one of the things that sometimes we have to do as well is be patient with God? You ever, you ever had somebody in your life that was so contrary, you ask God, God, why'd you make them? Why'd you make them that way? Patience. If we're going to be kind. We're going to be gentle. We're going to have that kind of testimony. He says we're going to have to have. We're going to have to pray that God would give us patience. What does it look like? Some of us are so impatient we don't even know what it looks like. What exactly would patience look like? As it continues, this this explanation of respect and submission and honor, patience, kindness. Whichever word you choose to use. Um, he gives an example that uh, in the next chapter, if you want to flip over there, in the beginning of chapter 3, he gives us an example um, that uh, is really, I think, helps bring into focus what the posture of a patient person looks like. He talks about, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, a Christian wife with a unsaved husband. And, and, and again, this is actually the chapter mark it, it, it leads to, to maybe some confusion. But all of this goes together. What he's been writing in chapter 2 goes together with what we have in chapter 3. And, and as an example of patience, of gentleness, of meekness, of peace, he gives the example of a Christian wife dealing with an unsaved husband. And some of you have walked that walk. Some of you have been there. Some of you have family who's there. This is a situation, again, that, that many are com uh, familiar with. And look what he says here in, in this verse. He says, Likewise, wives, uh, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy woman who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husband, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. 
and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything, that is frightening. The example of the posture that we are directed to have is in this passage. How a Christian woman relates to an unsaved husband. Um, grew up in that environment. And, and I know, I, I, I've watched the, the, the grief and, and the, the static my mother took for going to church, taking me to church. Some of you have been there and done that. You've seen it, maybe in your family. How, and sometimes it's the other way around. Sometimes it's an unsaved wife and a Christian husband. That does happen too. Um, that, that the unsaved spouse does everything in their power to make the Christian miserable. Everything. Ridicule, you, you name it. Constantly berating their spouse for going to church, giving to the church, taking the kids to church, trying to live a godly life. And God says in that passage that that wife is still for that husband to honor that spouse. May not be a more difficult situation than honoring an ungodly spouse. You got an ungodly boss who's giving you grief, you just stop filling out applications. You got an ungodly neighbor who's giving you grief, you avoid them, or you call a real. You got an ungodly spouse who's giving you grief. That's a lot harder to get rid of. That's a lot harder to deal with. A lot of times there's children involved. A lot of things that are involved in that situation. And yet Peter still says, even in that situation, We are. We're nice. If a spouse has an ungodly spouse who has pledged to love them, honor them, respect them, till death do us part, and that spouse is giving them all kinds of grief for their faith in Christ, somebody that should support them in their walk, and Peter says we're supposed to honor that. And how much more are we supposed to honor our neighbors and our co-workers and our employers and everybody else that we come into contact with? He says here um, that uh, these, these holy women, he said they didn't fear. They knew that God was in control. And again, it, it, anybody here who's ever done it knows how almost unbearable it is to live in the same house with someone who is lost. It, 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 who, who, is, who is lost and they will manipulate, they will insult, they will shame, they will provoke, they will oppose, 
They will do everything in their power to undermine that saved spouse's walk with God. Everything they possibly can. And God says, we have respect. Anybody who's witnessed it or experienced it knows just how much Peter is asking of these wives. And yet he says, respect everyone. Honor everyone. If he was expecting, if Peter was expecting that kind of honor and respect from a wife in that situation, don't you think he was expecting us to honor our unsaved employers, and our unsaved politicians, and those others around us? If he's asking that of a wife, posture priority. Look what he says here in this next verse. In verse 15. Why do we do it? He says, for this is the will of God. That by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. The believers good behavior. Their patience, their kindness, their gentleness, their niceness is a response to silence the critics of Jesus Christ. Probably everyone in this room who has tried to live for Christ at some point, at some place, not proud of it, but it's just reality, at some point, at some place, You've said something or done something where your critic, where your unsaved cohort says, Nah, so that's how a Christian acts, or something along those lines. We've probably, every one of us, had that thrown in our face at some point. Thought you was a Christian. Every one of us. If you've tried to live for Jesus somewhere along the way, you've had somebody toss that little hand grenade in your lap. Peter says, by doing good, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That's the priority. That's our job. We're not the majority in society anymore. But we are still to have an influence on society. People didn't want anything to do with Christ. They didn't want anything to do with the Christians. They didn't want anything to do with it. They wanted to live however they wanted. And the very idea that somebody would give everything that they had to Christ was beyond their comprehension. Peter says, be nice. Be kind. Why? Look what he says. In verses chapter 3, if you jump down there, chapter 3, verse 1. When he says in this passage, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some don't obey the word, that they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. 
when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Elliot Clark, I don't know him, he was a missionary. Don't know where, because he can't take it. Somewhere in, in Asia. Tells a story of a city, again, don't know where, he can't take it. Some two hours away from where he was posted as a missionary. In that city, about 100,000 people lived in that city. And to their knowledge, there was one Christian in that 100,000 people. One out of 100,000. Lady by the name of Aisha. She had no church. She had no church family. She had no fellow Christian brothers and sisters to cry on their shoulder to talk to anything. One Christian in a city of 100,000 people with no Christian friends. Somehow, they came to know about her and loaded up and they went to visit Aisha. When they got there, they learned that her husband um, had been put in prison. So she was isolated from any Christian and pretty much any family. She was in a mess. She had two children. They were both adult children, grown, going off to college somewhere far away. And so they began to make a relationship with her. They would stay connected through the internet, phone, those kind of things, even though they were two hours away, and begin to build a relationship with Aisha. Try to encourage her, try to keep her going forward, trying to disciple her, teach her what it meant to be a Christian. She had nobody. She had no church. She had no pastor. She had nobody. It's what she could learn on her own in a Muslim country, by the way. She was an island. Talk about an exile. That's an exile. One day she sent the message that her husband had been released and was home. And she would like for them to bring their family, their children, their two children, and that Clark and his wife would come and visit her and Madam, her husband. Well, they were a little intimidated by that. They didn't, they didn't even know what he had been in prison for. And we want to take our children on a two-hour journey across Asia to visit in a Muslim country a man we don't know, who we do know, was just let out of prison for something. And they prayed and thought about it and considered it over and finally they decided to go. So they go. They spend a few days together looking for the opportunity, looking for the chance to share the gospel with her husband. Didn't come. So they returned went back to where they were posted. Eventually, they returned to the United States. Their term was over, and they came home. 
I should continue to live as an exile, the only Christian in her town, the only Christian in her house, as an exile, with her husband for over 10 years. Patiently, persistently, exemplifying the words of Peter. Be nice. Honor. Be subject to everyone, even in her own home. After coming home one day, Clark got a text message. Except this time it wasn't from Aisha. It was from Metton. Metton was excited to tell Elliot that he received Christ as his Lord and Savior and wanted to know if he could find anybody in that country who would come and baptize him. Now, when Clark gets messages from Aisha or Metton, it's with a little group that has come together of believers who is meeting in their home in their little church. Because Aisha followed the command of Peter. She honored the unhonorable. She was subject to everyone. And her testimony slowly but surely. Ten years. Ten years. Over ten years. Slowly but surely wore away Metton's objections to the day when he asked Christ into his heart. Why should I be honorable? Why should I be nice? Why should I be patient in my boss? Have you ever met that jerk? I may not met your jerk, but I've met mine. You don't know my husband. You don't know my wife. You don't know my neighbor. No. But God does. And he said, honor everyone. You may not get a message like Elliot Clark did. But wouldn't it be cool to one day be in glory and have somebody come up to you and say, I don't know if you remember me or not, but we work together. And I watched you day in and day out. I kept waiting for you to get mad. I kept waiting for you to sling a stapler across the office. I kept waiting for you to cuss somebody out. I kept waiting for you to get mad and storm out and quit. But you just kept being nice. You kept a smile on your face. You kept talking about Jesus. And you didn't know it, but I was watching. And after you retired or after you changed jobs, 
got saved. I asked Christ in the mind. Be nice. It's not a deep theological truth, but it could have deep theological results. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. You're here this morning and you need to come and kneel and say, Lord, you know who that person is that is working my last nerve. You know who that person is that I'm having a hard time being patient with, that I'm having a hard time being nice to. Lord, I need you to help me. I need you to give me patience for your sake. What you say in your word? For your sake. Lord, help me. It may be one of your own children. Maybe your parents. Maybe your neighbor. God, help me to be patient and kind and gentle. Not for my sake, but for yours. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. Lord, we know that we live in a mean, rotten world sometimes. God, you call on us to be nice. Not just to the nice, but to everyone. God, I pray this morning across this room, we'd bow, we'd kneel, we'd we'd call on you, Lord, to, to give us patience, the gentleness that we need to represent you. Which in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand together.
there's always a proposed budget. And said, even after we vote on it, proposed. If we don't take in the money, we can't spend it. So uh, thank you again for your faithfulness. Um, and uh, again, for your uh, faithfulness to give and support God's work here. And it's a good mission thing here in this budget. But uh, I think it will help impact the kingdom. And so um, continue to be faithful and we'll uh, meet this budget. All right, let's bow through this news. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for allowing us to gather here today. Uh, God, you're with us as we leave here. Uh, God, simply help us to be nice. Uh, help us to represent you well uh, in, uh, in our workplace, in our home. Uh, God, that we would uh, be your ambassador. We give you the honor and glory for all. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Thank you.